This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is on vacation this week. It's great to have you along. And it certainly has been a strange and disturbing turn of events surrounding freed captive Joshua Boyle. The 34-year-old Canadian made a brief court appearance in Ottawa by video link this morning and has been remanded in custody until Monday. Boyle is accused of a slew of crimes that are alleged to have occurred since his high-profile rescue from captivity in Afghanistan and Pakistan this past October, when he was released from five years of captivity with his American wife and three children. Security and terrorism expert Ross McLean has joined me in studio to offer his perspective on what is turning into a curious story. Ross, thanks for coming in. Good to be here on what, as you say, as the worm turns on this one, Jane, this is turning into one curious story based on what's going on in the world today. Tell us uh, about the charges, or let's talk about the charges. There are f- some 15 of them in total. Shocking when the when these charges came out. My phone started to uh, beep and vibrate. My mailbox filled up when this was going on uh, for it. But we have, he's charged with eight counts of assault, two counts of sexual assault, two counts of unlawful confinement, one count of uttering threats, one count of public mischief, which I think is actually significant, and one count of administering a noxious thing. Are you able to offer any insight into what may have led to the charges, keeping in mind that there is a publication ban to protect the victims? Yeah, well, of course, I've seen nothing of what's been in the court, so I can't tell you anything that happened in the court or with the publication ban on it. What I can tell you as I look at this, uh, the police, the first thing I noticed is as I looked at, and some people contacted me on my Facebook page at Crime, Power, and Politics, and they said, hey, Ross, have you seen if there's been a media uh, release from the Ottawa police on this. And I thought, good question. I go to their page, I look for it. Nothing at all about him being arrested or being held. And this is a pretty big major news item, I would think, for doing it. Now, subsequently, some other people contacted the chief of police in Ottawa, and he claimed, well, it's for privacy reasons, because if we identify who's arrested, we may identify the victim. So that's why we put nothing out. I think, okay, that's, that's sort of convenient. In this case, though, this is a very public uh, international story. Is a publication ban typically placed on cases where the victims, the alleged victims, are children? They're put on for a variety of reasons, some of them very weak uh, reasons that they've been put on. And we see quite often media companies then go to court to try and fight them because really it's just protecting someone who's got a little bit of leverage sometimes. But you are right, they will put uh, publication bans on if the victims are children. Uh, uh, underage minors who would be identified. That's quite normal that they, that they put that on. However, you can still put certain information out. You know, the Ontario Police Act allows for chiefs of police to uh, make exceptions to the Privacy Act to be able to give information if they feel it's very, very important that the public know it. So there, there are 
the chiefs can say some things if they feel it's necessary. Or if it affects the public interest, I suppose, too. That's part of it. That's right. part of it, the public interest. I mean, there's certainly public interest here in this case. You know, we had a, a great show on this uh, on this station talking about this, this, this couple when they came out and they were released and how that went down. And basically, I was uh, very skeptical. Libby was very skeptical. Every caller and listener on the station was pretty much very skeptical. No one was buying what was being sold. And now when we find out this information... Uh, uh, this is very telling. To me, the most one of the more telling parts, profiling someone in this, is he's being charged with one count of public mischief that's been characterized as he lied to the police about something that was regarding these charges they were being investigated. So that tells me if you have someone, he's alleged to do this now, it has to be proven that this is what he did, but if you had someone who is lying currently, there is a greater probability that they lied about something else in their past too, which to me goes back to all of that time in amongst the extremist terrorists in Islamabad. Now, just to, to uh, mention what his lawyer said about that, uh, that Joshua Boyle has never been charged with anything prior to these charges, never been in trouble before. Uh, but you do bring up uh, his time in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Let's go back to 2012, uh, when he was... Uh, when he was first held captive by members of the Haqqani network. Give, give us some perspective on that. Well, let's actually even go back a little bit farther than that. And I'll, and I'll do this quickly for the listeners. 2001, we had the World Trade Centers go down. And it's, uh, it's written up about Joshua Boyle. He then became... Uh, enthused about terrorism, wanting to know all about it. He was always reading about terrorism. He was making posts on terrorism, following Wikipedia, everything he could. Post that, once uh, the Omar Qadar story came up and he was in uh, Gitmo, he was so enthused with that, he got in touch with uh, his sister and subsequently married Omar Qadar's sister. Zainab. Zainab, Zainab. who has quite a history uh, of, of, of this sort of issue. They were subsequently divorced. He goes off and he marries uh, this American woman who, at best, as I described it before, and I don't mean to be unfair to her, but st- struck me as being somewhat naive. They, you know, they got together through a Star Wars fan page online, and she marries him and gets pregnant, and off they go in 2012, as you were going to say, off to Afghanistan to go hiking when she's six months pregnant through one of the most extreme areas in the world in a place that he has an enormous amount of interest in. And supposedly at that time, they were taken hostage. You say supposedly because you you think that that may not be the actual reality of the situation. I don't think we've seen any verification for it. As we talked about his story, there is very few. When I look back on stories of people who are taken as hostages by terrorists, I see I can't find another equivalent one where you're allowed to have your wife there, have birth, give birth to other children, uh, raise the children, give them haircuts, and everybody's good, and then you finally get let go a little while later after they've tried to uh, you know obtain some sort of benefit and ransom uh, for you. That doesn't fit with how most people are held when they're held by terrorists for that long. Okay, give us an idea of, of what that would be like, the, the typical uh, uh, captor situation, captor-captive situation. Well, we've seen it on the top end with people like ISIS and the other ones where they put them in cages and they set them on fire or they burn them or they hold them uh, in holes in the ground and they degrade them and they're malnutritioned and and everything else. They're certainly not given the pleasure of having uh, a a woman with them uh, and that sort of thing. I've I've seen nothing that ever 
looks like this, where someone comes out looking well. Where we did see similar to this, though, you go back into the times, if this is what it is, if somebody was to get, let's say, turned. We saw in Vietnam with prisoners of wars who were captured. Senator John McCain was an example. They would take them out, offer them different things to turn them to the point that they give, uh, you know, video statements about, I hate America and down with this and leave and everything else. So you see it in those cases where they use them for propaganda purposes. So that, that, could be somewhat similar, but this, once again, it's not, doesn't equate to what these groups do. What about her and his allegations that she, his wife, Caitlin Coleman, was raped by the terrorists during their time together there, and that she was given high doses of estrogen to miscarriage her first child? Well, I mean, once again, this is going off of their statements for it. We've got no other independent um, uh, proof to say that's what happened. We're going by their words for what was said. But what we can say is we can talk about in general how the uh, Islamist jihadists and these terrorist networks treat women, which is less than property. Uh, they've got no regard for their, their life. Uh, they're treated as sex slaves. They're used. They're, they're killed. Um, they're treated as less than property uh, over there. You know, and this is one of the concerns, I think, that will come out as we, as we look at this case as to who the victims are in this case and what happened. And uh, what, if anything, uh, Mr. Boyle learned to become someone who would be in a position to be charged with these sort of offenses? I mean, typically what we see is when someone goes over and they're going over to join ISIS and some of these terrorist gangs as they get in, the first thing you get that, and you'll get that in the gangs in the city of Toronto and New York. You get, you get proof of affiliation. You come in, you, you tear up your passport, uh, you kill something that's important to you, you go out, you kill somebody else, you do something. Uh, maybe if you're captured with your wife, and we don't know in this case, maybe it's, hey, you're going to give your wife up to the gang here to do uh, what the gang wants to do. Are you okay with it? You better be okay with that or you're not going to join us. Like, these are all questions, I think, uh, that are going to come out of these allegations of these charges against him here as to who the victims are, and, and how this took place. Like the, these, these complaints that are filed against him are the exact ones, if we could have laid uh, complaints against the people who held him in Islamabad, they'd be charged with these things here in Canada. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We're discussing uh, the latest charges against Joshua Boyle, the Canadian man who was freed uh, in Pakistan in October with his wife and three young children. And joining me is Ross McLean, security and terrorism expert here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. Part of what makes Fight Back such a great show uh, is your phone call. Your phone calls on hot-button issues like this. And to say that this is strange, disturbing, bizarre, it is all of those things. And you may want to offer your comments as well. Ross, what also makes this uh, situation bizarre is the posting of photos by Joshua Boyle a week before Christmas in the company of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau with his children. And this would have been in the middle of the time, according to the police allegations, as to when these crimes were taking place. What kind of or what lack of guidance is being given to Prime Minister Trudeau? Once again, we can only speak in generalities here. Uh, the Prime Minister has recently said 
that he believes in looking at rehabilitating people who can be rehabilitated who come from this area. He's of the opinion that some of them certainly can be rehabilitated and turned into strong voices or something like that, he said, against people who are becoming radicalized. He claimed that there in no way is Canadians' uh, security being uh, endangered, uh, indicating that everybody is looked at, everybody's dealt with who comes out of these areas, they have an eye on them. So if we take him at his word... CSIS, RCMP, they should have had their eye on this guy. Right. From the moment he moved, they, they should be able to tell me how his bladder is working and uh, all those sort of things and how his diet is if they're watching him. So presumably, some police, law enforcement, intelligence agency would have had information that should have somehow been related to the PMO's office. And if it wasn't, there's a question there as to why it wasn't. And if it was, there's a question as to why this meeting went forward. Is it possible, and I'm just thinking of this as you're speaking, that part of why Justin Trudeau said what he did about rehabilitation was prompted by the Joshua Boyle case? It's possible. There's a claim by Joshua Boyle that he's known the Prime Minister for a while. They were friends before, back to 2006, he made reference to that. You know, I tried to do a little bit of digging into that to find out, and best I could tell, he said in 2006 he was, he had met uh, Justin Trudeau before. Now, in 2006, Justin Trudeau was here in Toronto for a rally about Defour uh, with uh, General uh, Allaire. Uh, here is there was protest and things going on, and perhaps that's where they first met, and where, how much did they get to know each other? Was he just in the crowd and sort of... Uh, playing this up that they were friends or was there more of a friendship as we know the prime minister's definition of friendship is a little bit different than well than the ethics commissioners or some of our or some of our definitions reference to the aga yeah. khan and not having <laughs> spoken to him for 30 years before last year's vacation certainly uh, now what was interesting um, there's just so many uh, so many parts of this spider's web. Uh, his wife, Caitlin Coleman, did release a statement which was published in the hard copy of the Toronto Star this morning. And, and let me read it to you in case you missed the news this morning here on Zoomer Radio. I can't speak about the specific charges. I cannot speak about the specific charges, but I can say that ultimately it is the strain and trauma he was forced to endure for so many years and the effects that that had on his mental state that is most culpable for this. She goes on to write, obviously he, her husband, Joshua Boyle, is responsible for his own actions, but it is with compassion and forgiveness that I say I hope help and healing can be found for him. As to the rest of us, myself and the children, we are healthy and holding up as well as we can. That sounds like a very supportive spouse. It certainly does. And and I... And you know, one, one of the issues that may come up in this, uh, you know, like I say we're yet to see. This is just coming out uh, in the news now, what's going on. You know, when you're held hostage, and this applies to anybody who is held hostage, her, uh, her husband Joshua, or Senator McCain, or anybody else, there's, this, there's a syndrome called the Stockholm Syndrome that was developed before. What they find is people who are held long enough by their hostage takers can eventually turn around to come and love and support their hostage takers and then be on the side of their hostage takers. It's a little mental flip that takes place where it causes a problem. Now, she's offering up this statement um, that she put out herself that the Star published this morning. Um, it, essentially being very compassionate towards him and not 
placing the blame on him, but on the stress and the strains of what he had to endure. And, and I'll just say, when I saw the pictures of him getting off the plane, he didn't look very stressed, or he didn't look like he was enduring a lot. He wasn't emaciated. People, you know, talked about he was the chubby hostage uh, sort of thing. He was able to be with his wife and give birth to the children. And so there's a question here as to whether, what, what is her position in all this, and is it going to be reliable to understand what the truth is. Mm -hmm. That's the problem sometimes. I guess maybe the question I should ask you, the Zoomer radio listener, is uh, what do you think the federal government should do in light of these charges? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Should Justin Trudeau, should someone from the federal government make a statement about this? What do you think about that? And what do you think that statement should sound like. So far, all we've heard from the PMO is that it is an ongoing investigation and there will not be comment while the investigation is ongoing. Do you buy that? Is that enough? Does the Prime Minister, in light of his photo op a couple of weeks ago with Joshua Boyle, uh, reflect the need for some sort of statement in light of these 15 unproven charges at this point? of assault and sexual assault and so on. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. A quick break, and we're right back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host... Jane Brown. I'm here with security and terrorism expert Ross McLean. We're discussing the latest twist in the Joshua Boyle case, the 15 charges laid against him, mostly assault charges, some sexual assault charges as well, which are alleged by Ottawa police to have occurred between October 14th and December 30th. He appeared in court this morning. He's been remanded in custody. Until Monday, he appeared by video link. And we're getting your feedback on this. What We've been talking to Ross about the history of the Joshua Boyle case, uh, going all the way back to the early 2000s when he was interested in terrorism and and what terrorism was all about. And then, of course, being in Afghanistan in 2012 with his pregnant wife. And after that, being held captive for five years before his release just a couple of months ago. Kathy in Niagara Falls, uh, you're on Zoomer Radio. What do you have to say about this? Yes, um, I, I just don't trust the guy. There's something fishy about him. Like when the Americans sent that plane to for him to come home, and he wouldn't get on. There's something wrong with that. I'd have been out of there so fast and make your head swim. <laughs> I think he, he qualified that after, though, and said that there was no truth to that. But she raises an interesting point. And, and, and uh, I always tell women this anyways. Trust your gut. Trust that hair on the back of your neck. Trust that more than anything. But don't forget, right now we've got the uh, Iran is in protests. Uh, we had Syria that's been dealt with. And now Pakistan that uh, President Trump has just told they're going to cut off a lot of money. This is a part of Pakistan that he was around and rescued in in Islamabad, where all the extremists are. And this is all tied into Iran, uh, Iraq, and Syria, and Pakistan. It's all tied together, that area. This is, this is where the extremists come out of, and this is right where this guy came out of. Uh, and I'll just point out for people, this is an interesting point, Syria, I don't want to go too deep on all this, but Syria is a country that was basically 80% Sunni Muslims, 20% Shia. Shia is the same as what's in Iran. Iran is predominantly 
Shia. Shia and Sunnis don't like each other. So, uh, so Syria fell into the ground because they thought it was improper that the Shias should rule the Sunnis when there's more Sunnis than there are Shias. Pakistan is the same way. It's about 80% Sunni and about 20% or so Shia. And it's mostly Shia who run that area. So this very much ties into the, what's going on in the, on the global chessboard today. And the boils were held by the... Hakini Network. Hakini Network. Who, are, who came to birth, if you will, back when the Shah was uh, overthrown uh, back in Iran. And they, they, they're allowed to operate in Shia territory. So they're very much Shia-related. So this is Shia, Iran, the war, Trump, everything that's going on right now. This guy is right at the heart and center of it. And he's back now, and he's before our courts. And I hope we get the intelligence out of him as, as much as we get the criminal charges uh, dealt with that are alleged against him. We will continue to watch this story. In the meantime, I don't want to let Ross go since he came all the way to the Zoomerplex. Uh, we'll uh, change topics right now a little bit and go on to the Sherman case. Uh, you joined me on Fight Back um, in the days after both Barry and Honey Sherman were found dead in their home in North Toronto. The investigation has been relatively quiet since the memorial service was held and before that when the family asked please for police sources not to speculate to the media about what may or may not have caused their deaths. Uh, can you shed any light on what's going on with that case? Yeah, It's been quiet in terms of what's come out of the police. It has not been quiet in terms of police activity. I've been to the, I've been to the site ever since the day when it happened. I was in that local division when the, uh, when the, uh, the deaths occurred on December 15th and the certainly it looks like the police have changed their point of view in this from potentially being an alleged we heard from very good sources uh, murder-suicide to the family wants it expanded and the police have really expanded that net I've been out there the police are going door-to-door houses in all the different streets uh, and I've noticed them coming out of some houses that happen to have security cameras on the outside which would be very helpful and the police uh, uh, Jane, have not given out hardly any information. And I'm going to tell you my guess as to why they've done that. And I don't think they're going to be cooperating with the family's private investigator. And I believe it's because of this. You don't give out information because they've got a whack of a lot of people to interview to find out where they were, when, when this happened. We don't even know specifically when the time of deaths were. The police haven't even given us that. No, they've given it's us nothing. So what that gives them is a great opportunity to interview people and find out if they've got any other suspects. So I, I think that's where this is going to be going. I think it's going to be quiet for quite a while. Do you think that there will ultimately be uh, a resolution to this case? I mean, some cases are unsolvable. Some are unsolvable. Some come up unsolvable. But this one's going to have a lot of eyeballs on it. And uh, the forensics is there. And forensics doesn't lie too much. And I'll just tell you, from looking at homicide scenes I've been at and ones that I've studied, nothing happens clean or the way you want it when you're killing somebody. It just doesn't happen. There's a camera you miss. Someone comes in you don't expect. You leave behind something that you didn't know you left behind, a tread of a shoe that no one else has, like a Bruno Molly shoe or something like that. You cut yourself just a little and leave just a little bit of blood. That kind of hurt O.J. Simpson. And even back on the Scott Peterson trial, the man who murdered his pregnant wife at Christmas time many, many years ago, he had the infamous, oh yeah, I cut my knuckle the same night she went missing and I bled in my car. So none of these things go perfect. It's the question whether the police can run down uh, and find 
who's responsible. And in terms of this uh, second investigation that the family is trying to launch, the individual who they've hired, who Greenspan, Brian Greenspan has hired, uh, the family lawyer, to take care of this is, is a very highly esteemed former Toronto police detective. Would he not be, uh, would his observations not be in line with the detectives who are currently investigating the case? I don't think the police are going to share anything with them because if they share with him, they don't know where that information goes. So, and that, that could interfere with uh, their interviews. And or, they don't have to share anything. They don't have to share a darn thing. And let me tell you, I know a lot of cops and I talk to a lot of cops and on certain stories, they'll look at me with a stone face and go, no comment, even though I know they've got something to comment or something right. to do. So, and homicide detectives are probably the worst at that. I mean, it's funny. Chief Saunders used to run the homicide uh, division for quite a while. And when he first became chief, I said this to a, one of his uh, social media guys. I said, you know, when he was first chief, he didn't like standing up and taking questions because he was used to saying nothing. He, you know, he just wouldn't talk. He wasn't used to the press right. always asking him questions. But now he's, now he's got it. He knows he has to play ball. But Good point. You, you don't want to... You don't want to try and get information out of a homicide detective. They don't want to give it. You're not getting it. Okay, Ross, uh, Victor from Toronto wants to make a comment. Go ahead, Ross. Uh, yeah, Victor. How you doing, uh, Jane? Good. What's your comment? Uh, listen, it's not a comment. I got an idea. Why don't you just get it all over with? Why doesn't the Prime Minister just give him $10 million and get it over with? <laughs> We're talking. <Hey? laughs> you're talking about Joshua Boyle. Hey? You're joking about Joshua Boyle in yeah. light of the Omar Cotter. That's it. Just give it to him. He's, he's throwing money all over the place. Just give the guy $10 million. Let's get it over with. Victor's joking, Ross, but in but, there... But you know what? He's yeah. giving political humor. There's a lot of people... This is going to be the court of public opinion, the court of politics, and it's certainly something that people are considered about. I mean, this is part of the world politics now. What's going on? Omar Qadar was world politics, international world politics. This story is becoming international world politics. So... Uh, there's a question about that. What is the Prime Minister's position going to be on this? Like, what is it going to be? We haven't heard from him really yet to speak. And interestingly, um, and we're bringing the conversation full circle here again, um, the news uh, of Joshua Boyle facing 15 charges has made international media very similar to the Omar Cotter situation. And, and the reason we bring up Boyle and Cotter in the same breath is because Boyle is a former brother-in-law of Omar Cotter. Oh, absolutely. And it's all its all just a little too cozy, someone going back and forth. And, you know, I, I, I had severe doubts about this. And, and as we're seeing now with what's going on with Pakistan and the U.S. right now, and it's specifically over the area where he was rescued. This is where it's claimed that there's uh, terrorists that are being shielded there by Pakistan. And Trump said, no way you're getting no money as long as you're shielding terrorists. So, I think there's information to come out of this. All right. One more comment before we wrap up the topic. We've been talking about the Joshua Boyle case as well as uh, the Sherman case. Donna in Toronto, go ahead. You're on Fight Back. Hi, Barbara. Uh, I just want want to say that um, this rehabilitation idea that Trudeau has, um, he picked that up from the Europeans. The European Union has that idea as well. France is big time on that. And he is very good friends with Macron. You know, he's got that kind of thinking. So he's a he's a liberal thinking. You know, it's a it's warped. It's 
it's not right. Well, that's an interesting observation, Donna. I mean, it is. I, certainly, and I did listen the day, Ross, you were on with Libby. Uh, people in Canada, I think, like the idea of, of rehabilitation, but also persecution. You can't come back and, and sit in therapy on the Canadian if, if dime. A person like that should be not allowed to come back to Canada, period. Okay? Anyone who has any connections with terrorism, okay? Never mind the silliness we rehab. How do you rehab the whole friggin' three quarters of the world that is half insane? You know, do you think Pakistan is a normal country? They take up killers everywhere, everywhere, rapists, animal killers, you know? I, you know, I'll say this. I think she may be right. There's not enough couches in the world to support everybody for sitting down talking no. to the psychiatrist no for doing this. No psychiatrist wants to deal with terrorists. Well, something else that the prime minister said that he has systems for doing this, changing and de-emphasizing people and de-radicalizing. But most people know from their own lives, most people, if they have someone in their life that has a real problem, whatever it happens to be, and you try and change it for them, and even if they try and change it for themselves, it's very, very difficult. So I think there's going to be lots more to play on this. I hope that we don't end up, Jane, and I, I hope we don't, that this is all just publication blackout time and no one says anything and the media moves on and we don't talk about this. I think we need to know what's going on here. This is a returnee from a terrorist area. It's very much on our consciousness right now. And I know when I do security planning right now at Toronto Police, this is one of the things they plan against our terrorists' incidents. We have to watch out for this. We have to be educated about it. Ross, we look forward to your comments all through 2018 on uh, various aspects of terrorism and security. Thanks so much for coming in again. And Happy New Year to all the listeners. I think it's a 10-day rule. I can still say that. <laughs> That's right. I think when February rolls around, <laughs> Groundhog Day, it's we're a, finished it's with it. a bit it. much. Yes, Happy New Year to you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.